Joel chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. That's all the intro that Joel gives us. I'm going to give you a little more intro here. We are doing a sermon series on the minor prophets, or the book of the twelve. That's the, the twelve shorter prophetic books that we find towards at the end of the Old Testament. So we've been just going one book uh, a week. And last week we did Hosea. This week we're in Joel. Um, we emphasize these first couple sermons, and we'll continue to emphasize that prophets don't do a lot of future telling the way we talk about prophecy normally. Prophets are really interested in perspective. How you're thinking and how you see the world and does it fit with the way God sees the world. We don't know much about Joel. Um, We don't even know quite when he writes. He doesn't really describe the sin of Israel very much. Doesn't really name kings, names who his father was, but we don't know that name either. And so there's a lot of debate about how old or how new Joel is. Uh, The cards I gave the kids listed the 800s B.C. Other things I've seen have said the 500 B.C. So we really don't know that much. We know that he's probably from Judah. That's the south of Israel. So um, he's probably probably preaching. uh, He's probably doing prophetic ministry after Israel's split. But we don't know that much. And apparently it's not that important that we know that much because Joel doesn't give us those details. Joel is a little more vague, but he calls the people to uh, repent. We do know that there was some kind of plague of locusts. Now, we get locusts every once in a while, but we've never had a plague of locusts. Now, we've had stink bugs, right? Okay? Or this year at my house, it's those little teeny ants. Anybody else getting those this year? It's those little ants. I got them, and, and I'm fighting them. Um, But in the Middle East, they would sometimes have these great hordes of locusts that would pop up. And they would be so so many that you couldn't see through them. It would just be like a black cloud in the sky. And apparently this has happened in Israel. And the locusts would come, and that many locusts can wipe out your crops in a day. They come, land, wipe out your crops, and they move on. But it's devastating to your nation and to what's going on into your food source. Apparently, following the locusts, there's a drought. So the locusts wipe it out. We're trying to recover from this. And there's a drought. We have no water. We have no crops. And Joel uses this as an opportunity to talk to Israel. So I'm going to read, um, picking back up in Joel chapter 1. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days? Or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children. And their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left. The swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left. The hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left. The destroying locust has eaten. Awake you drunkards. And weep and wail all you drinkers of wine. Because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against the land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and its fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. 
It has stripped off the bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made of white. A little bit later on in verse 15. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near and the destruction of from the Almighty it comes. It is, is not the food cut off from before your eyes. Joy and gladness from the house of our God. Joel says, look at all this destruction. He uses the metaphor of an army. Some people think maybe this is an allusion to um, when the Assyrians and the Babylonians will come down as an actual army and destroy Israel. But it seems more likely he's alluding to these locusts being like an army and coming and just devastating the land. We have trouble with God's judgment. It's not very popular. In fact, one of the most quoted verses, in, it used to be John 3.16, most quoted verse in Scripture. Now you know what it is? It's in Matthew. And it says, judge not lest ye be judged. It's one of the only verses quoted in the King James Version too. Lest ye be judged. We don't say that ever. Um, we don't like judgment. We don't like judging. We really don't like God judging. We like a loving, gracious God, not a judging God. And, and I'm not sure that judging is really the defining characteristic of God. But I think we fail sometimes to take seriously the holiness of God. That God is perfect. And God is holy. And when we do wrong things, and when the world doesn't line up with him, and when, when we even just do okay things, but we do them for ourselves instead of for him, that's dishonoring to God. And God has to take that seriously. We rebel against God. It's very serious. And so, so Joel's trying to get the people to think. And he, he doesn't really explain what their sin is, right? We don't know what the sin is. It, it seems like probably some of this temple worship, worshiping other gods is coming in. But he, he's not near as specific as Hosea and all the other prophets. But what he is doing is he's using this moment to say, look at the judgment of God. That God will do something. That he will devastate us if we're not careful with God. He goes on in Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm from the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. There like has never been before, nor will again after them. Through the years of all generations. There's this day coming, says Joel. The day of the Lord. And this is something we're going to be unpacking a lot. Because um, especially Amos, but a lot of the other prophets. Talk about this coming future day. The day of the Lord. Where the Lord will return. He will come to the earth and he's going to judge. He's going to judge and he's going to make wrongs right. And he's going to take care of injustices and bring them to balance. The world is going to be run as God intends it to. Part of the question for the prophets is, is this a good day or a bad day? And the answer is, yes. It's both a good and a terrifying day. It's a good day if you're on God's good side. If you're where you need to be with the Lord, it is not necessarily a good day when you stand in judgment. And part of Israel's thing is they look forward to this day. Like, oh, yeah, God's going to get all these people around us that are, uh, that are attacking us or standing by while we get attacked. And, um, and the prophets want to say, Israel, you better watch your step here, <laughs> right? 
You may not be on such good footing as you think you are. Is it good news or bad news? It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of both. And Joel is warning them. And he's warning them because he wants them to react. He wants them to respond. So look at Joel chapter 2 verse 12 now. Yet even now, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether or not he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering or a drink offering for the Lord your God. Joel says, even now. Everybody say that, even now. Even now, say it again. Even now, while you're still in your sin, while you're still messed up, while you're still angry, while you're still cheating, while you're still troubled, even now. We've made this mistake that we think we've got to get our lives together before we come to the Lord. And it doesn't work like that. Even now, right where you are, come back. Sometimes see people not take communion when we have communion. And, uh, you know, for some people, like, I don't feel worthy of communion. But that's the whole point of communion. I pray I never feel worthy of communion. I pray I always am reminded that I am not worthy. That even now, as I am, Christ loves me and accepts me. Pray I never lose my sense and awe and wonder about God's grace. Even now, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you are, you don't have to get your stuff together. Come back to God. Relent. Repent. Even now. But Joel even tells us what posture to, re- to come back in. Even now, return. But how do we do that? In a position of, in a posture of repentance. See, there's a difference between confession and saying you're sorry and repentance. All right? Most people use those terms interchangeably and they are related, but they are not the same. When I confess, I say I did it. Right? Or I believe it. I did it or I believe it. So when we said the, the uh, Apostles' Creed earlier, we call that a confession. Because we're saying, that's me. I believe this. I believe in God the Father. I confess it. To confess is to just speak the truth. I did that. To say you're sorry is to express some kind of sorrow, right? And I can do that two ways. I'm sorry that I did that, or I'm also sorrow, I also have sorrow that you went through that. That's why people will say I'm sorry when you lose someone, right? Because I, I'm filled with sorrow for what you went through. To say I'm sorry is to express sorrow. Repentance is something different. Repentance is to turn the other way. Repentance, whenever you hear the word repent, Insert the word relent, to give up, or turn away. In fact, very interesting in what Joel's doing. Joel's saying, if you repent, you know what God might do? He might repent. But God doesn't say he's sorry, right? What is Joel saying? God might turn. He might relent. He might do something else. He, he wants grace. Have you ever told someone that you're sorry? Have you ever heard someone tell you that they're sorry? 
but you know they're not going to change? Like, you told me sorry five times. You're not really sorry. Joel's saying to the people, no, 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 no. You, you need to be more than sorry. You need to relent. You need to turn. Even now, turn back to God. Now, in Jewish custom, there were actual ways that they would go over this. We live in a culture where you're expected to mourn for like a weekend and then be back at work on Monday, right? We have no sense of mourning, no sense of sorrow. In Israel and in a lot of older cultures, you had a sense of that. You were, if you lost someone, you were supposed to take time off to mourn. You were supposed to, we, the only thing we ever do is wear black to funerals. And I'm noticing that's going away, by the way. Noticing people aren't doing that anymore. But, but in, in Israel, what you would do is you would, you would put on dark clothes or sometimes you would rip your clothes. Sometimes you would wear itchy clothes called sackcloth. You'd put ashes on so you look dark and you look dirty and you felt itchy and miserable. And you physically, everybody see what you're doing there? You're physically doing how you're feeling on the inside. You're giving your body away to feel what you're feeling on the inside. Instead of ignoring the feelings... You're living the feelings. You're, you're leaning into them. And the understanding is when you leave it, lean into your sorrow and you actually let yourself feel it, you get over it better. But there was a problem with this. The problem with this is that you would have the ability then to put on the sackcloth, to put on the ashes, to rip your clothes, but still not turn, right? To go through all the religious customs you're supposed to do, but still not turn. And so... Joel has this beautiful phrase. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your hearts, rip your hearts. You think, you're gonna, you think God's going to be impressed that you rip your clothing? <clears throat> that you go through the religious, what you're supposed to when you're sorrowful? You think, God's, you think God's pleased when you just say, I'm sorry? No, don't just rend your clothing, rend your heart. What goes on in here is what God actually cares about. He doesn't care about this big act. He cares that you rend your heart. That's the difference between being sorry and true repentance. I'm sorry that I, and I'm changing and I'm turning. But you don't turn and change alone. Joel says, in Joel chapter 2, 28, And it came to pass afterward. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God's going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's this verse in Joel that Peter quotes at Pentecost. When Peter gets up and the Holy Spirit comes and there are these tongues of fire over people's heads and people are speaking in weird languages or people are speaking in one language but they're hearing in their native tongue. All this crazy stuff is happening. And Peter wants to describe what's going on for them. This is the verse he quotes in Acts 2. And he says, this is what's happening. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. This day of the Lord has come. The Holy Spirit comes to us and he changes us. See, you don't have to relent. Remember that phrase, even now. You don't have to get your life together. Just turn back to God and the Holy Spirit gets poured out. You start to, he starts to do stuff in your life to change you, to fix your heart. 
Joel chapter 3 is a, is a step back in the argument then to look at this idea of judging the nations. Um, Joel 3 begins, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and divided up my land. There is a great promise here. The great promise for Israel is that, yes, the day of the Lord is coming. Yes, the Lord wins. Yes, judgment will be made and things will be made right. God does win. But Joel's warning goes right along with it, right? You want to be on the winning side. Don't just say that you're in because you did all the religious stuff you're supposed to. Rend your hearts. Come back. Now, we're going to be unpacking this in future weeks. Um, but the day of the Lord is an interesting kind of phrase because it doesn't happen all at once. I mean, Peter clearly looks at Joel and says, the Holy Spirit coming, that's the day of the Lord that's promised here. Although the judgment hasn't finished yet, right? We believe the day of the Lord is one when Jesus rises from the dead, when the sacrifice is paid for on the cross. And we look forward to the someday that's coming when all things are made right and the day of the Lord is completed. It's sort of what we, would, what we say is it's now and not yet. It's now and we are the people that announce it for now. And it's not yet. It's still coming. But I really want to end challenging you with the words that Joel gives us. You may be here now and think you've done things that are so bad. Or you've said things that are so bad or things that have been done to you that are terrible. So that you just don't feel right with God and you don't feel like you can come to God. You don't feel like it's, it's time. You feel like you've got to get something together before you can come before God. But God is full of mercy and grace. And what does God say? Even now. Even now come. Now you might be here and you are the opposite. You might think you're not too bad. You've always gone to church. You've always prayed the prayers. You've sung the songs. You've said the right things. You're on the right membership roles. You do all the stuff you're supposed to do. But have you, have you truly rendered your heart? Have you truly repented? Or is it just saying, I'm sorry, and keep doing my life my own way? Because if that's the case, Joel has some warning words for you. Rend your hearts and not your garments. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would fall on us all and would deal with and change our hearts. Amen.